FedEx Forum, Growl Towels, Super Grizz, each one a Memphis Grizzlies tradition. This is the Grizzlies Podcast. What's up, everybody? We are back for another week of the Memphis Grizzlies Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Barnes. We are joined by DeMichael Cole, uh, the Grizzlies beat writer, and... uh, it's been a lot since the last time we spoke on this podcast. Um, when we last spoke, uh, the Washington Post had written a story about John Morant that we had dissected and discussed. And we thought that was going to be, you know, the story that would be, you know, going into the weekend. But of course, since we recorded our podcast and since the weekend has been over, there's a lot going on. Obviously, we know what's going on with John Morant. We'll recap right now where things stand. Obviously. On Saturday morning, John Morant posted a video of him in a nightclub in Glendale, Colorado, which is just an enclave inside of Denver. Um, he Briefly, there looked to be an apparent gun that he was brandishing in the video. Um, the, Grizzlies immediately, the, Grizzlies, the Grizzlies put out a statement that he would be taking time away from the team for at least two games. John Morant put out his statement that he will be taking time away, and he apologized and took accountability for what happened and now both the nba and police in glendale colorado are both investigating john morant to see if there's any laws that are broken or what discipline will be coming so as we stand as we record this on wednesday um john morant is still not with the team and from what taylor jenkins said um in on sunday and tuesday in los angeles it doesn't sound like he will be back thursday when the grizzlies face the warriors which by the way another storyline that is lingering over this team right now. So, DeMichael, let's just get into what what we know at this point and kind of just where we we stand. Obviously, there have been a lot of discussion about John Morant since Saturday morning. Um, just kind of, you know, what are you seeing? What are you feeling? Just kind of like, where do things stand from your perspective now as we now try to take stock of this, you know, nearly half a week away from Saturday's incident? Well, yeah, obviously, Evan, there's a lot to take in here. And as you just pointed out, I think one of the most thing that one of the things that we have to be clear about is the fact that uh, the Grizzlies announcing that John Morant was stepping away from the team for at minimum two games was separate from the NBA's investigation and the Correct. investigation going on in Colorado and Glendale. So with that being said, there are kind of three different perspectives. Uh, from from you know uh, with the Grizzlies, it feels more like this is the Grizzlies attempting to say, "Hey, we're allowing Ja to seek you know help, uh, get the help that he needs." As you wrote, you know, in a story on yesterday, they're not calling it a suspension, and mm-hmm. Taylor Jenkins kind of you know clarified on on why that is at this point. But basically, they are they want him you know to get the help and take the time away uh, that he needs. Whereas the other side of this is the NBA is doing a thorough investigation right now that could potentially lead to a fine, a suspension or something of the sort. And as we talked about in the past, Evan wrote a story, you know, about uh, previous incidents in the NBA that you can check out on the commercial appeal uh, that that involved guns. There's also an Instagram live a video example earlier this season, as I've talked about with Anthony Edwards. He went on Instagram live and I think he said, you know, some anti-gay remarks. He ended mm-hmm. up being fined forty thousand dollars in that 
case scenario, wasn't suspended. So these are kind of some of the things that we have, you know, based on Instagram live video, based off, you know, uh, you know, previous examples that involved, you know, guns and things like that. That's what we have from that angle. So there's the NBA's investigation. There's the Glendale, uh, Colorado investigation as well. So, you know, this thing might not end for a while. You know, if one investigation wraps up, the other is probably still going to be going on. They may wrap up around the same time. Uh, there's potential punishment that could be involved, what that punishment means. Uh, if we're talking suspension, how long, you know, the Grizzlies don't have a lot, a lot of games left this season. And as the days tick and as the investigation continues, you know, continues to uh, take place. Uh, they have less and less games remaining. So if you're talking suspension punishment, uh, things will get tricky here sooner or later. If, Absolutely. And, and to go back to the story that I wrote about what suspension John Moran could possibly face, it's important to note that um, besides Gilbert Arenas, I mentioned four other situations of players who were um, involved with guns and face suspension. Stephen Jackson, Sebastian Telfair, Delonte West, and Raymond Felton. Now, it's important to note that with all four of those situations, uh, I believe all four of those situations happened in their respective off seasons and the NBA issued its punishment after all four pleaded guilty to their various uh, charges, I believe they, and then, and again, none of them, I think faced serious time other than probation or whatever. Like for example, when Steven Jackson fired his gun outside of the Indiana strip club and he, and it was acting in self-defense, the incident happened in October, 2006. Steven Jackson played that season with the Golden State Warriors. That was the We Believe Warriors that went to the, the Western Conference semifinals. And then in July, he received a seven-game suspension. Um, I believe Sebastian Telfair also had a similar situation in 2008 where <clears throat> his punishment from the NBA came after he had you know, pleaded guilty to criminal possession of a weapons. That was in April 2007 when he was arrested. The suspension came in October 2008. So just to say that we are dealing with perhaps the NBA suspension could take time as the league, you know, does what it needs to do, as well as Colorado police does what it needs to do. And I also want to bring up Raymond Felton because also I believe Raymond Felton had a much shorter time between finding his um, punishment as well as everything else. So yeah, Raymond Felton in 2014, he was suspended four games without pay um, at the start of that season and I believe he was his situation began in February 2014. And then was that uh, seven months later or six, seven months later? That's when the NBA suspended because that's when after Felton pleaded guilty to his situation. So there is a wide variance of precedent for what the league could do here. That's why I wanted to write that story to mention to people that for people throwing around 50 games, 50 games, 50 games, that is not the standard. That is not the mandatory minimum punishment because even Gilbert Arenas, as he, you know, he, I saw him mention it on um on his podcast. Gilbert Arenas was suspended indefinitely before the league suspended him and Javaris Crittenden for the remainder of the season. So that 50 games wasn't yeah. even a 50 game suspension. It was really, I believe, a 38 game suspension because that was the end of the season. But right. Gilbert Arenas had those games added because of his already indefinite suspension. So it really is going to come down to what Adam Silver decides to do based on what the investigation finds. So I think it's important that people understand that. We don't know what could happen because there are still some details that we don't know. We don't know how the gun got in John Moran's possession. We don't know, you know, 
who brought the gun or what happened. All that stuff is being determined. So right now, it's really a, a situation of fact-finding, gathering information, and then we see what happens. So really, it, it's kind of an unknown right now, and that's really what makes it so difficult to kind of like predict or foreshadow what could happen. Yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's so much, you know, going on and it's it's a different situation, right? You know, we're talking about Instagram live here. You know, that is that's that's uh, we <laughs> haven't. Anthony Edwards is the only other, you know, case that that comes to mind, you know, in terms of, you know, going on online. And then there's the, you know, the tone. Right. You know, it one thing where John Morant, you know, We've seen in the past there have been instances that have occurred, and he's gotten the full, you know, backing uh, of of Grizzlies Nation, you know, teammates, coaches, and everyone around him. But in this situation, Evan, it felt different because he, the report from the Washington Post, we had just talked about it, had mm-hmm. came out just three days ago, mm-hmm. just three days ago. And, you know, no one has really talked about it that much. We haven't talked about it that much, but I'm sure you've seen the celebration on the bench when Desmond Bain hit the corner three-pointer against the Rockets, that was literally the next day where, you know, he does like the three-point gun signal. I mean, I will admit a lot of NBA players do that signal, but again, it's one of those things. It's kind of like read the room, you know? Yes. Uh, You have to be smarter than that. And that kind of, you know, that situation took away, you know, some of the sympathy, you know, that he had, you know, uh, some some of the empathy that he was given. You know, and then, you know, going on Instagram live, you know, I think as Shaq was one of the people who said it, you know, there's a whole thought process that is in that that has to go on when you do something like that. You take out your phone, you hit Instagram live, it loads up, you see that there are thousands of people at the time of his video. I think there was a little bit like over uh, 1,800 people uh, mm-hmm. when uh, purportedly the, the gun or, you know, the brandishment of the gun was shown by his ear. But that was over 1,800 people on that. I mean, you just have to have a better idea. You know, it's uh, that I don't think that's something that has anything to do with age. That's that's morally just a, a common sense thing. You you got a lot on the line. Uh, you're an NBA player. You are one of the faces of the NBA. And just three days earlier, there was the other there was the report. So mm-hmm. uh, I think when when that report came out. Even though his agency came out and strongly denied, you know, some of the things they used the words, you saw it, irresponsible, defamatory. Mm -hmm. Even though your agency went that hard to the back end of you, that still should have been a signal to say, hey, let me let me stay out of the limelight for a little bit. You know, uh, if I'm going to go out, uh, I'm I'm not going to go on Instagram live. I'm not like that should have been a clear signal to tone it down a little bit to me. Absolutely. And I think that's where this. You know, as we as people are discussing this in terms of like now Josh taking time away and obviously people are concerned for his mental health. We have to remember there is an accountability element to this, too. And I think uh, Chris Herring at SI Sports Illustrated did a great article where he kind of said great piece, great piece yeah. where he basically said, you know, let's not forget that. Ja obviously needs to take accountability for what happens. If we frame this in terms of, you know, he's got to take time for his health. We're here for you. Take time you need. Let's remember that Ja also took accountability, and he is to he needs to assess the steps that to take to better himself. Because sometimes when we talk about mental health, and you and I both understand this from a sense of when we talk about you know people taking care of themselves, it doesn't mean you absolve the things that happen that hurt other people around you. 
you have to take stock of that as well, too. And so I think what's important to understand is this is an issue of not just mental health, but maturity. This is an issue of decision making. It's an issue of self-awareness. And this is really where, you know, you this is where you hope that Ja takes stock of this and says, you know, I have to recognize not just that I'm a famous player, one of the faces of the NBA, but I have to make better decisions because he's not the first nor the last to go through this. Whenever I hear, and, I, and I'm just going to say this, whenever I hear people say that we don't know what Ja is going through, yes and no. We don't know specifically what Ja is going through, but we have seen other people go through being famous. We have seen people make decisions and we've seen them come out, you know, making positive changes as a result when they have a wake-up call. Jalen Rose even talked about that. And so I think that we have to be very careful to to recognize that this is a moment for Ja to kind of like take stock for his family, for his his crew, that both of us know people in his crew. Like all of them have to take stock and say, like, what can we do to better change the situation around so that, you know, we can make sure that Ja is in the best position to grow and do what he needs to do to better himself, better his brand, better his decision making. Because, you know, I know personally from my life, you know, I had to be careful people that I was around growing up when they were going down a path that I couldn't follow, you know? And so it's important that I think that we talk about John in the sense of these are decisions that he made and these are decisions that he will have to grow from. And I think we all know that as much as we want John to get right, we also want John to move a little bit differently and his people to move differently because um, this is a, a turning point for him. So as we as we move on, like I, I don't want to just obviously you know keep re, re, you know rehashing this. Um, the Grizzlies, obviously, you know, there's some things that they can look at too as well. I mean, we we talked about how the Grizzlies are one of the NBA's youngest teams. We talk about how they don't have anybody who's over 30. Stephen Adams is the old the oldest person on that team. Uh, DeMichael, I believe you have a story coming up about you know veteran presence, you know, on the Grizzlies and why that's important. Uh, before you get to that, uh, Danny Green, who briefly was with the Grizzlies, talked about that on his podcast as well, too, that, hey, he wished he could have spent more time with John Morant. He wished he could have, you know, been around him more to kind of, you know, be another a sounding board. But I think it's important to also note that this is an issue that isn't just coming up now. I've thought about this since I was the beat writer. When they traded Jay Crowder, I was wondering who was going to be that vet in this team. Who's going to be that vet that commanded respect? And I'm glad Stephen Adams is there, but you need more than one vet. I'm sorry, you need more than one vet to kind of guide and 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 keep people to think to you know be that voice of reason in the room. One person is not enough. So, DeMichael, uh, I want I just kind of want you to kind of share a little bit what you reported on and kind of what you think about that being around this team more and you know how that needs to be another issue that maybe the Grizzlies can address a little bit. Yeah, it's it's two perspectives here, and, and I, I wrote about both because uh, you had both sides. You know, uh, I talked to uh, some people, namely Jeff Van Gundy, you know, who basically said, oh, age doesn't matter. It's more about, you know, the, the people you have in the locker room. You know, it's more about how, how they are raised and things like that that contribute, you know, to, you know, those type of things. And then there was the you need veterans to, to, to lead the way. And, and mostly that perspective – from the conversations that I had with people came from players. You mentioned Danny Green on his podcast. That was kind of his perspective. I talked to, you know, some guys who who played in the NBA or playing some overseas basketball now. A couple guys were still in the league and whatnot. And for what I gathered is 
most of the consensus with guys in the league is you need that veteran leadership. But talking to a coach, you know, Jeff Van Gundy basically said he never relied on a player to to help another man's, you know, character, you know, especially, you know, off of the floor and and things like that. So it's the two sides. But I think one thing stood out to me that Jeff Van Gundy said, and and it was the fact that he said that he said this, Evan, he basically said that. The star player of a team kind of, you know, for better or worse, is usually a big indication of, you know, how that player acts, how that player, you know, the character of that player kind of is a big indication of, the, you know, the character of the locker room. And mm-hmm. and no matter the age, you know, if, if that player is 21 years old, if that player is 22 years old, if he's the star, you know, you can have a 36-year-old vet. But that that probably isn't shaping the locker room mm-hmm. more than that young star is what Jeff Van Gundy said. It was a different perspective, but mm-hmm. it made sense to me. And it makes sense probably to you, too, Evan, because mm-hmm. we've been in this Grizzlies locker room. And that's I say it all the time. Uh, we talk about how the Grizzlies like the trash talk. We talk about, you know, uh, the, the fast pace of style that they play with, you know, the confidence, the swagger, all of those same adjectives that we use to describe the Grizzlies all go directly back to John Morant. Yep. I mean, you you're you're not using some of those adjectives to describe Stephen Adams to describe Tyus Jones, who are the two longest tenured players on the Grizzlies. But those adjectives that I just said, all of those things directly correlate to John Morant. So I think, you know, there is some some, you know, level of, you know, truth to the fact that uh the veteran thing may be a little bit, you know, over overspoken on because we saw, you know, actually there was a report, you know, from Sharon Sharania at the athletic uh, that said that the Grizzlies, you know, conducted, you know, a players only meeting before, you know, the incident in Denver. And then in that situation, you know, uh, Stephen Adams was one of the players, you know, I guess he stood up and, and basically said that the team, you know, needs to be more disciplined uh, when they're going on the road. And if, if that was to be the case, then, you know, Josh Steele went out on the road and not only did he go out and he went on Instagram live and he mm-hmm. was having a good time. If you saw the video, he was having a good time. So, uh, again, that points to the fact, yes, Stephen Adams is the longest tenure player on the team. He's 29 years old and, you know, he has been in some battles. He's been in the Western Conference Finals. He's played with Kevin Durant. He's played with, you know, a bunch of the best players in the world. But at the end of the day. Your star player, John Morant, if that report, you know, is deemed to be true, uh, still did what he wanted to do. Absolutely. And we should be clear, Stephen Adams being longest tenured, meaning he's been in the league longer than anybody in the Grizzlies. So we should make that clear, because obviously Dylan Brooks is the longest longest tenured. tenured on the team. Yes, he's been on the team the longest. But you're absolutely right. I mean, I like what you said about what Jeff Van Gundy said about, you know, the team takes the tone of the star player. I think that's absolutely true. I mean, that's absolutely the case. I mean, you can look at how um, guys, you know, even look about what Draymond Green said about Ja talking about we're fine in the West. That attitude is carried over to the rest of the team because obviously Ja gives them confidence. Ja inspires them to um, be a certain way, carry themselves a certain way. But also having some veterans that can be around there do help. Like, you know, and, and again, we should say veterans. Like, yes, you have Stephen Adams, but one veteran is not enough, especially for someone who's been there less than two seasons. Like, you 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 kind of need to have people who carry juice to where, hey, we do this, 
This is what happens. I remember there was a story once about the Denver Nuggets where I believe Chauncey Billups came to that team. That was, I think, the team that went to the conference finals with Melo and a few of those guys. I remember there was a story once when they were all at a club somewhere. And Chauncey Billups said, all right, we're leaving. Everybody followed Chauncey out the, out the building. And Chauncey had only been there for like a little bit of time. But when Chauncey spoke, and this is obviously after he'd won a championship with the Pistons, everyone listened to him. This is a team again with Carmelo, who was a star in the league, who was a well-known star. Chauncey Billups said, let's go. Everybody left. And I think that's kind of where you got to have that, that presence only because it's so important. But again, it also goes back to, like you said, if everyone's following the lead of the star, does that veteran have the same level of influence? Does Stephen Adams' words carry the same weight when Ja is obviously the dominant voice in that locker room? And I think that's a concern is that was this a case of where Ja felt like, you know, he is at the point where he didn't need to listen to other people. He was making these decisions based on his own um, decision making. And that's a concern. So I think it's it's important to have veterans because it's just a sense of, hey, they're there, but it also requires younger players to be able to have the ability to listen to those veterans and to be able to say, hey, let me take some advice from you because you've been around this. And it takes a, a level of wisdom to say, hey, I need to chill out because I don't want to throw away my golden ticket. And I don't want to disappoint the veterans around me who obviously believe in me invested me. Again, going back to Denver, our friend Mark Spears wrote a great column at Anscape, a great story yeah. about Carmelo Anthony coming to that point of realization where he needed to change certain things. And the Denver Nuggets put some veterans around him that he listened to. He listened to his his mother and his then wife, Lala. He he made those conscious changes. And that's where we think, again, this all comes back to John Morant, what he can do, what decisions he can make to better himself and put himself in the right situation. So, yeah, I, I encourage everyone to read the Michael story about um veterans and what kind of importance that can have encourage you to read again you know my story on what kind of punishment john morant could face just to have perspective and not think 50 games is like this arbitrary number that's out there um i want to wrap this up with obviously there's still a basketball side of this lost in the shadow of the john morant news because again we woke up sunday saturday thinking we'd be talking about brandon clark Um, right brandon clark is obviously done for the year with the torn left achilles um, let's be honest. I don't think he's just done for this season. There's a chance that he may not come back until late winter, 2023. Um, cause obviously we know Achilles is one of the worst injuries you can have. So they may be without Brandon Clark for not just this season, but the start of next season. Um, they're also in the midst of a spiral right now where this road trip has gone from fine against Houston to a disaster with back-to-back losses in Los Angeles. And by the way, the Warriors are coming to town for the first time this season on Thursday. Um, so there's a lot going on on the court. Um, DeMichael, without, let's, we'll take it like this. What happens without Brandon Clark? And the Grizzlies now wake up today and on Wednesday for the first time in 2023 as not the two seed. What, what will happen? What, where does, where, how do we take stock of this team now where Brandon Clark is now gone? Their fourth, the Grizzlies' fourth quarter play continues to be an issue, and now with John Moran out, all those things are coming to a head where now they're starting to, to slide back into this muck of the West behind Denver where who knows what place they can fall in with Sacramento catching up and Phoenix lurking behind two and a half games as of today. 
Yeah, uh, the Suns look strong. The Kings, as I've said, talking about them, what stands out to me, Evan, about the Kings is we talked about the entire Western Conference and how everyone pretty much for the most part is very good at home and mediocre or bad on the road. The Kings are the only team pretty much in the entire Western Conference that's, you know, at least five games above 500 on the road and at home. Uh, That bodes well for them. But when you talk about just the entire landscape of things, you know, Brandon Clark being out, that hurts. I mean, there's no way around it. But you know what I've been impressed with, you know, when it comes to Xavier Tillman Sr., I tweeted Mm -hmm. it yesterday. I think his hands defensively are among, you know, the best on this team. You know, he is extremely active in that area. Remember, this is a former Big Ten defensive player of the year. Uh, he can really, you know, add to that to that area. We talk about, you know, uh, the way he slides his feet, right? That was a plus when you put Brandon Clark in the game. He could guard threes, fours, you know, twos and switches and things like that. You know, I was watching Brandon Clark, you know, I mean, not Brandon Clark, Xavier Tillman stay in front of Dennis Schroeder, you know, mm-hmm. on the baseline in this last game and, and, and stay in front of other players, you know, uh, in recent Grizzlies games. And he's held his own in those guard switches. Remember, he kind of for a while against the Timberwolves was, was one of the saviors in the playoffs last year when no one could stay in front of Carl Anthony Towns and match the physicality and the mobility. Mm-hmm. He was the one player who gave the Grizzlies a great chance in that area. So I think, you know, uh, he helps minimize the damage with losing Brandon Clark. So now it goes back to this whole conversation about the two seat. And I'll start this with the Kings. I still think the Grizzlies have the inside track for the number two seat. And, and the reason is right now, as of this recording, the, the Sacramento Kings have the seventh toughest schedule remaining in the NBA. Uh, the Grizzlies, the third weakest, 28th toughest schedule left for the Grizzlies. Only the Lakers and the Cavs have an easier schedule down the stretch. And most of the Grizzlies games, you know, the tough games are coming up. And then there's also some dynamic things, you know, with these games, right? You got two games against the Warriors. In theory, sound very, very tough and probably still will be. But the Warriors, two, those two games against the Warriors are in Memphis. The Warriors are 7-25, and 25, the 27th worst road record in the NBA on the road. I, I mean, uh, they say the defense in Golden State breaks down on the road. We saw they lost to the Thunder just yesterday in another road game. So right. you get two games against Golden State, but they're on the road. Uh, yes, you play Milwaukee, but that game is in April where it could be a game where Milwaukee is resting players because now they're up two and a half games on the Boston Celtics. So that game may not be meaningful to the Bucks. And those are probably your three toughest games, so to speak, left. You got two games against the Clippers, and you got three against the Mavs that stand out, and then there's one against the Heat. Outside of that, uh, you got the Thunder, you got the Bulls, you got the Spurs, you got two against the Rockets, you got the Magic, and you got the Blazers. All games that the Grizzlies should win. So I think they're in a better position, whereas if you look at the Kings, uh, from that standpoint, the Kings have a game against the Bucks, the Celtics, the Nuggets, the Knicks, Two games against the Suns, you know, uh, that stand out, including one this weekend. So uh, we'll see, you know, how how this race goes. And I, I think it'll still be very close either way, because the Kings, again, what stands out to me about them is they play well on the road and at home. So they're capable of winning literally every single game on any given night. But 
the Grizzlies, when you look at the scheduling standpoint, yes, right now uh, the Kings do have the conference tiebreaker, and it's it's a gap. I think it's like a four-game difference. So I don't expect, you know, if these two teams end up in a tie, the Kings are probably going to have the tiebreaker. So the Grizzlies will need, you know, to have one more games this season than the Kings. And quite frankly, they have the schedule, so they have to take care of business. Yeah, so I want to explain a couple of things you mentioned for our listeners. So DeMichael giving you the strength of schedule – that comes directly from Tankathon. Uh, you can go to Tankathon.com. That's where he gets that from. And the tiebreaker that he mentioned for the Sacramento Kings, which is why both teams are tied, but the Kings are two, Grizzlies are three, it goes to conference records. So the, the, the Kings right now have are 26 and 14 in conference. They have fewer losses than the Grizzlies, who are 20 and 19 in conference. So that's the tiebreaker that puts the, the Kings ahead, which means if those teams tie, um, given that gap right there with twenty with uh, eighteen games left, you don't want to tie. You got to you need to get ahead of the Kings, and I think that tiebreaker, the Kings are probably going to get that tiebreaker, pending what happens down the stretch, like the Michael said. So I want to explain those two things. Um, without looking ahead too far to the schedule, I think you brought up two things that I'm I'm interested in. One, this bench is going to be really tested over the next few games because obviously they have struggled without um brandon clark they have now tyus jones is, is starting obviously that takes away a bit of a spark plug and what we've seen so far and i'm just going to be honest with this this team misses the production of d'anthony melton off the bench and I, what i mean by that is d'anthony melton averaged double digit scoring last year he was a re- pretty good three-point shooter as well the Grizzlies have not been able to replace that, nor have they been able to replace DeAnthony Milton's defensive play on the perimeter. And that's what worries me a little bit now is that with Brandon Clark out, who's going to be that person on the perimeter that you can put out there to spell Dylan Brooks and Desmond Bain? Like you mentioned Xavier Tillman being in the front court. That is a great help, and he has been playing really, really well since the All-Star break. But the, on the perimeter is what worries me because, yes, Santi Aldama's been fine. Tillman's been fine. But right now, you don't have that perimeter depth. And that's what worries me most looking ahead because, quite frankly, that's a hole that has not been filled. Like, Luke Kennard has been very solid, you know, with his, you know, his shooting. But we haven't really seen much else from him that um, – and, again, we, we mainly expect him to be that shooter. But we haven't seen the other sides, you know, other sides of the game, which is fine because they need that shooting. But that's something that the Grizzlies are missing right now. And – as you've mentioned, the fourth quarters, it's almost clockwork now. You can expect the Grizzlies to come out strong in the third quarter, put up a fight like they did with that 51-piece against the Clippers. But then in the fourth quarter, they're starting to fall apart. And that was something the last that last year they were doing so much better in. They were able to close out games. They showed the poise. They were able to call on John Morant, but also other guys were able to step up as well too. They don't have that right now. They don't have the ability to summon that poise to settle down, get good shots, or stop teams from making good shots. I mean, the the ratings in the fourth, the, the stats on the Grizzlies in the fourth quarters is abysmal. And so, I think what worries me going forward is yes, the schedule is very easy. Like after they get past the Dallas Mavericks um, this weekend and they get past Miami on Wednesday, the schedule is very very favorable. But what you hope is that the Grizzlies don't have enough damage from this these next few games that where it might not be enough to overcome. And so we'll obviously get into that later as those games come. But what concerns me is I see a team 
that is struggling to close out games, that's struggling right now to um, get production from Dylan Brooks, who the Lakers just left wide open in the fourth oh, quarter. Man. And that worries me for Thursday, by the way, because if the, if the Warriors did that to Russell Westbrook, you better believe they'll at least try that with Dylan Brooks to let him shoot. Oh, and they did some of it in that last game. There, there I, specifically, go. yeah, specific. Now, not not to that level, but I, I I see where you're going. You know, with the Russell Westbrook, Dylan Brooks, we could see more of it. But I remember specifically in in the last two minutes. Remember, John Morant had the ball. Uh, he wanted to go one on one. Matter of fact, I think it was in the last minute. He wanted to yeah. go one on one. The Grizzlies needed a, a basket. They were going back and forth with the Warriors, and the Warriors, whoever was guarding Dylan Brooks at the top of the key, just completely left them. And doubled, they just straight doubled uh, Ja, and he had no choice but to pass it to Dylan. And when Dylan got the ball, no one closed out. It was a wide open shot, missed it. Golden State went on the other end. So uh, that is something that is extremely notable, and we talked about it. Uh, that's why, for me, Evan, it goes back to the Luke Kennard trade. Uh, as as cool as that trade was, I felt that the value was meh because you needed a guy who you can – kind of be okay with replacing Dylan Brooks in closing lineups sometimes, you know, against certain opponents. And as we've seen so far, that doesn't seem to be Luke Kennard because, I mean, is it is it defense? You know, uh, that, that may be uh, what the case is, but you needed someone where you could say, hey, this is a guy we can put in closing lineups because I think if you can't put the guy in a closing lineup or the starting lineup, and then it's, it's a minimal move, marginal yeah. move at least. Yeah, exactly, exactly. So that's why I feel like we're going to really see how this front office moves in the offseason because I think that's something that they're going to have to address is how will they shore up the middle of this roster, which I've thought it in my head for the last two years. That's going to be key to see where this team goes. You got Jod, you got Jaron, Desmond Baines getting his rookie extension this summer. How you shore up the middle of this roster will determine where the Grizzlies go from here. And what you're seeing right now is the middle of this roster not as good as these other teams in the West as far as reliability. And so that's going to be something to watch because right now, whether or not John Morant comes back, I think it's going to be important to see how this team hangs on because there could be some serious discussions this offseason um, on where this team goes if for some reason the season either ends earlier than expected or they get, you know, their heads handed to them in a playoff series down the road. So there's a lot going on. This is a big turning point for the Grizzlies, not just with John Morant, but for where the franchise goes, because these games have been, these losses have been happening on national television. There's more chatter around the front office. There's more chatter around the team. Obviously John Morant's dominating the conversation, but the Grizzlies as a team, they have to look and see where they're going right now. Cause I think if you wanted to, if you want to describe this anyway, concern at the crossroads. That's for Ja, that's for the Grizzlies, that's for where this thing goes. They're at a crossroads right now, and there's concern about how they decide what they move because whatever steps they take are going to affect where this team goes. So I think we'll end on that note. Obviously, there's a lot to discuss. We're going to have a lot of coverage at CommercialAppeal.com. Please stay tuned because there will be news coming out of this. We'll be fully covering the Grizzlies-Warriors game on Thursday. Obviously, we haven't really discussed that being a big rivalry game because there's been so much going on. But, yes, that will be a big game, a uh, nationally televised game on TNT, so 6.30 p.m. So tune in for that. We'll have plenty of coverage going forward. Stay tuned with DeMichael to stay tuned with what he's going to have coming for you. But, again, a lot going on in the Grizzlies world. 
and we'll see what happens next. So for DeMichael, I'm Evan. Thank you all for listening. The Grizzlies Podcast is a production of The Commercial Appeal.